0: Good morning, my name is Andrew Philbeck, I get the opportunity to be here with you today as we continue our series, thank you, through the Gospel of Matthew, specifically as we continue looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, what we're going to be reading about and talking about this morning is the Old Testament law. So I want to go ahead and ask you right now to remain calm, uh, contain your excitement. Uh, The other two services so far have been able to do that, and I expect the same from you. Uh, But I do want to do something uh, right away that I think will help our study. So um, I want everyone to write down uh, one word on the top of your handout or wherever you're taking notes this morning. If you aren't taking notes, that's fine. You can take that up with God later. Um, But I want you to write down, I want you to remember um, one word throughout the entire message this morning, and it's the word relationship. The word relationship. Write it down, say it out loud, do whatever you need to do in order to remember it as we study this passage. Now, before we read anything or talk about anything, uh, I, I do think that I need to give, and I will stress this a brief, a very brief explanation of what we mean when we say the law. I know that not everyone has the same church background. And for some people here this morning, when I say the law, you probably know exactly what it is that I am talking about. But for others, you might be a little lost. So let me set it up like this. What we see in the Bible from beginning to end is God wanting to have a relationship with us. We know that in the beginning, God had this relationship before sin entered the world. This is the way things were with God and Adam and Eve. They would walk together in the garden, and we know that it was good. But once sin entered into the world, all of this changed. The relationship that God had with His creation was severed. Now, God still looked after His people. He still took care of them, still had a plan for them, but things were different. And everything we see in the Bible after Genesis chapter 3 is the story of of rebuilding that relationship. And while it might seem odd for us today because of the way that we probably think of laws, the law that we're referring to in the Bible is no different. It is a part of God's plan to rebuild and to restore our relationship with Him. Now, my guess is that when I say the law, the first thing that comes to Uh, Mind for many of you, is the Ten Commandments. That's not wrong. That's certainly part of the law. But it's not the whole truth either. You see, there were hundreds of laws the nation of Israel had to follow in order to have this right relationship with God. And they actually fell into three different categories. The judicial, the ceremonial, and the moral. Just a really quick explanation of what each of them were. The judicial laws... They told Israel what to do as a unique nation. They told Israel what to do and how to live as a nation that was set apart by God. And God called Israel to live differently than the nations around her. The ceremonial laws, these were uh, the laws that told Israel how to worship. Uh, basically, you can think of it as, as the sacrificial system. I know that is a very brief explanation, but it's, what, it's helpful for us this morning. And finally, the moral laws, uh, very simply, these told people how to live. We could think of it uh, in terms of right and wrong. This is what, this is how God told people how to live. Now, the people of Israel, uh, they had been taught these laws, they had studied these laws for generations. This was the backbone of their society. And so when we jump ahead from the Old Testament to the New Testament and Jesus begins to preach and when Jesus begins to gain a following and people start to pay attention to him and and listen to what he has to say, no doubt in the back of their mind, one question that they have is, what does he think about the law? What does he think about the law? I I like what he has said so far. I, I appreciate the fact that Jesus seems to be different, but I need to know what he thinks about the law we're going to be asking a lot of questions ourselves this morning and that's a big question that the people of israel would ask so go ahead and turn in your bibles to matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 matthew 5 verses 17 through 20 if you haven't already done so so far in our study of the sermon on the mount we have looked at the beatitudes and we've talked about being salt and light now, we know that those passages, they build on each other, and our text this morning is no different. You see, in the Beatitudes, we see what we'd simply call the believer's character. You know, so, so what is a believer? A believer is poor in spirit. A believer mourns their sin. A believer hungers and thirsts for righteousness. In the passage we looked at last week, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, we see a believer's purpose, to be salt and to be light. We talked about The danger of contamination. We talked about the goal of illuminating God, and we talked about striving to make a difference in our world by doing good, not just by being good. And so this morning, as we've already looked at the believer's character and we've already talked about the believer's purpose, what we're going to do now is see the believer's foundation. What do we stand on? What gives us our strength? What guides us? Because that's what Jesus is referring to here. And this is a big deal because while we are going to talk a lot about the law and we are going to address different aspects of the law and how it relates to you and me today, even though we are New Testament Christians, we also need to understand that what Jesus refers to as our foundation is, in fact, the entire Word of God. I want to say that plainly and clearly right away this morning. Our foundation is the entire Word of God. So... Having prefaced everything with that, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. You can follow along. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the least, or excuse me, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven, thank you, you may be seated. May God add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His word. If you are taking notes this morning, go ahead and write this down next to number one in your handout, the enduring law, the enduring law. Now, there are two things that I want us to notice in verse 17. One is, uh, I want to point it out after what I said earlier. Um, That's simply what Jesus says. He says that he's not going to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, the law and the prophets means the entire Old Testament. And I think that we can understand it as the entire scripture because this was the only scripture that was written at the time of Jesus' preaching. This is a big deal for us. We need to acknowledge it. But at the same time, after we acknowledge that, I think we still need to ask this question, why does he say this? Why does he say, I, I'm not going to get rid of this. Don't worry, I'm not going to do anything to it. It seems like an odd thing for him to do. At least it seems like an odd thing in my eyes for him to do. Well, the truth is he says this because he knows this is what his audience wants him to do. Jesus knows that the people listening to him hope that when the Messiah comes, he will lower the standard, if you will, of what it takes to have a relationship with God. They hope that that the Messiah will make what it takes to have a relationship with God more manageable. Because here's an important point for us to understand. It is impossible. It is impossible for us to perfectly obey each and every aspect of God's law all the time. The people knew this. Uh, The people understood this. And then when you add to it the regulations that the pharisees and the religious leaders put on top of god's law they felt the burden of this they felt the weight of this on their shoulders and so their hope was that when the messiah came he would make things different he would make things easier now while we know that jesus does make things easier at the same time he has no intention of lowering god's standard god's law is a reflection of god's own character how 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 can that be lowered You see, Jesus understood what the purpose of the law truly was. He he understood how it truly worked, which was something the people were yet to learn. And he did not come to make it manageable. He did not come to lower the standard. The second thing we need to notice from this verse is what Jesus does not say. He does not mention anything about the traditions that the religious leaders told the people they needed to follow. These traditions, they they were interpretations of how to obey God's Word, but what they became were a, a, a ridiculous amount of addendums and additions to the law of God, what this really means, how you do that, what this looks like. Now, while you know, you can argue that adding to God's law, God's word is probably not the best thing to do anyway. One of the biggest issues with what the religious leaders did was that they only focused on external behaviors. That's all that they cared about. They did not care about internal attitudes. They only cared about the hands and not the heart. They only cared about the hands and not the heart. And listen, if you've been with us Over the past several weeks, even just a couple of times, for any part of this study, you know that it is all about our attitude. You know that it is all about our hearts. Jesus did not promote these traditions, He did not observe these traditions. He publicly called out and criticized the religious leaders because of these traditions. When Jesus is talking about the enduring law, when He's talking about the law and the prophets, He's talking about Scripture, He is not talking about tradition. God's word is not going anywhere. Verse 18 further emphasizes this when he says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You see, what Jesus is saying in these verses is that the law has a purpose, God's word has a purpose, and because of that, it is not going anywhere until that purpose is accomplished. So, what is that purpose? Well, it's for you and me to have a relationship with God. It's for you and me to have a relationship with God. And we're going to talk about this in more detail and talk about how it doesn't meet the expectations of the people. But at the same time, we need to understand this. God wants to have a relationship with us. And because Jesus is talking about the reality that he did not come to make the law manageable, what it does is it makes us realize that when we want to have a relationship with God, we have that relationship on his standards. On his terms, not ours. When you want to come to God, you come to him on his terms. And Jesus came in order to make that relationship happen. Growing up, I watched a lot of musicals. I'm not ashamed to admit that this morning. <laughs> I've admitted it to all the other services. You know, why should I not admit it to you? Uh, and it makes me think of one of my favorite lines from the musical Oklahoma, where one character sings to another. He says, with me, it's all or nothing. Uh, you may have heard that, and it's important because he doesn't say all or nothing. It's Oklahoma, so he's saying all er nothing. Takes a little practice, takes a little getting used to. Well, in a sense... This is what God tells us. You know, God wants a relationship with us. And, and God's perfect law, God's perfect word, he, he reveals what that relationship looks like. And it's all or nothing. Jesus didn't come to get rid of it. He didn't come to make it manageable. In fact, he came to follow it and fulfill it because you and I, we can't do that. We'll talk more about that later. Right now, I want you to write this down next to number two in your handout. The relevant law. The relevant law. Verse 19 says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I have a lot of pet peeves. I'm sure after years of listening to Philbecks in the pulpit, you're shocked by that this morning. <laughs> uh, being late. I hate that. When people talk during a movie, when people text during a movie, when people spoil the end to a movie, when people don't use their turn signals, when people don't actually stop at stop signs, when people complain that it gets cold in Indiana. And listen, I'm not picking on anyone because when I lived in Texas, my pet peeve was people that complained that it got hot in Texas. I mean, at some point, you just need to realize where you've chosen to live. This is the way that it is here. I could go on, <laughs> but I won't, because um, so I want to get the chance to preach again later. Um, one more pet peeve, one more pet peeve that I want to mention this morning. It's when people say that the Bible is not relevant for us today. Now, this bothers me for two reasons. One, because I know that it is. I know the Bible is relevant for my life today. Hopefully, you know that the Bible is relevant for your life today. It's God's word, and that in and of itself makes it relevant. But the second reason that this bothers me is because when people say things like, well, the Bible's not relevant for us today, what they're implying is that it's not relevant for us today, but, you know, that's because it was back then, and things are different now. You know, back then it was great, whenever then was in their mind, but today, not so much. But the reality is, the Bible has always been out of date or out of touch with the world around it. I mean, the sinful, fallen world has always been opposed to the truth of God's Word. Always. I mean, I think you could say that even, even the religious leaders of Israel were at odds with the truth of God's Word, and this is why they invented all of their own traditions and all of their own uh, outward rituals and ceremonies that they, that they complied to, rather than simply taking God at His Word. They cared about the hands and not the heart, but God cares about the heart. He cares about our attitude. Before I explain verse 19 in a little bit more detail, I want to pause and, and, and think about our word for the day, our, our word relationship that I want to use to guide us. Because I want to ask this question. Would you rather be in a relationship with someone who you knew loved you, you knew they loved you with their whole heart, Now, no one is perfect, though, so sometimes dinner gets burned and laundry piles up and the gas tank in the car is left on empty and bills aren't always paid on time, but you know that they love you. Or would you rather be in a relationship with someone who did all of the right things? Dinner is always perfect. The house is always spotless. The gas tank is always full and bills are always paid. But at the same time, you know that in their heart, they just don't really care about you. They're just going through the motions. They're just doing all of the things that they're supposed to do. Which relationship would you rather have? So here's the deal. What we see in verse 19 is is Jesus telling us that, that God's word is still relevant. He's saying, because I am not doing anything to the word of God, because the word of God is not going anywhere, it is still important. It is still a guide. It is still our measuring stick for how we should live. And because of that, when we approach God's word, we have two possible consequences. One is negative and one is positive. And I really believe that it all comes down to our attitude, and I say that because if we have a positive attitude toward the Word of God, then we will strive to love it, we will strive to obey it, we will strive to honor it, we will strive to cherish it, it will be important to us, and it will matter to us. But if we have a negative attitude, then we're going to try to get around it. We're going to try a loop to find loopholes. We're going we're gonna to try to find ways to justify our own sin. We're going to get angry at God's standard. It all starts with our attitude. And, and Jesus says something here that, that I want to point out because I want to talk about everything in this passage. But it's interesting. He says, you know, if you, if you do these things, you will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't do these things, if you, if you don't obey the laws, if you teach others not to do that, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And so what this implies is that our attitude towards Scripture affects our heavenly reward. Now, okay. How the heavenly rewards are doled out, that's a whole other sermon. That might be a whole other series. I'm not trying to bite off more than I can chew this morning. But I want to mention that because I think it's interesting to notice that he says that both of these people, you know, who have the negative consequence and the positive consequence, they're still within the kingdom of heaven. That might be odd to us. That might sound strange to us. And so, uh, to further emphasize this or to maybe kind of explain it a little bit better, I want to go back to our relationship illustration one more time. I think it's helpful for us to think of this as a marriage. And this is an illustration that we see in Scripture time and again, you know, the bride and the bridegroom. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Because here's the reality. Some people, they choose to stay married forever. And they have a very positive marriage. They have a very fulfilling marriage. It it benefits them, it blesses their lives and their families. But at the same time, some people choose to stay married forever, but the truth is, they don't have a great marriage. It's an obligation, it's a chore, and it's a burden. Both couples stay married. But one consequence is negative, and one consequence is positive. See, we need to ask ourselves this morning, what kind of relationship do we want to have with God? Maybe we need to go a step further, and we need to ask ourselves, what kind of attitude do I want to have about my relationship with God? Because I guess the reality is, you know, we all have a relationship with God one way or another, So how do we feel about that? What's our attitude toward that? Is it one of joy and humility? Or is it selfish? Is it going through the motions because we feel like we have to? Write this down next to number three. The law's purpose. The law's purpose. Verse 20 says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is where Jesus has been leading his audience. This is where Jesus has been leading us this entire time because it all comes down to what God's word is meant to accomplish. And I said from the very first point that the purpose of the law is for us to have a relationship with God. But how does that happen? How does that happen? You see, the people thought the law was meant to make them righteous. If you followed all the rules, then you would be right with God. But we know that it is impossible to follow each and every aspect of God's law perfectly all the time. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders... They were were looked up to by everyone, except for Jesus, basically, because supposedly they did all of the rules. They followed all of the rules. They did all of the things that God wanted them to do. And on top of that, they did all of their own rules that they added to it to say, look at me, I'm even more righteous. But Jesus' statement in verse 20, it was shocking to his audience for a couple of reasons. Because in their minds, you know, if the Pharisees aren't going to make it into heaven then no one will. And at the same time, it points to the reality that the law does not make us right with God. We can't follow it. It's not possible. I I hate to use a sports analogy this morning. I really do. I try not to talk about sports too much from the pulpit. Um, And I know that it's not a perfect analogy, so you don't need to tell me that it's not a perfect analogy afterwards. I'm aware of that. Um, But I, I was thinking of this, and I was thinking about the shock that the people... Um, Would experience and and, you know because we're in Indiana this was the first thing that came to mind I, I think that it would be kind of like not perfectly but kind of like the commissioner of the NFL standing up today and saying you know what in order to get into the Hall of Fame your your career statistics have to be even greater than Peyton Manning's now for the most part we love Peyton Manning not everybody does that's fine I know it's not a perfect analogy But I think if he were to say that, if he were to call him out publicly, everyone all over the country that cares about football would think, well, that's kind of ridiculous. If he's not going to make it in, that's ridiculous. I think that's kind of how the people felt, just a little bit at least. (laughs) If they can't make it in, if, if the best of the best don't get into the kingdom of heaven, what chance do I have? And then on top of that, we have the implication that following all the rules won't get you into heaven. And remember, we can't do that. It is impossible. So, we ask ourselves this question. If the law is about us having a relationship with God, but at the same time, it is impossible to follow all of the rules and to be righteous, then how on earth... Does this get me closer to God? Now, I really believe that that's a fair question if you ask it with a genuine heart. And here's the deal. Just like we have seen so many times already in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the expectations of the people and he turns them on their head. The law's purpose is not to get people to heaven because God knows that people can't follow it perfectly. Rather, the law's purpose is to show how sinful, how hopeless, and how helpless we truly are on our own. And by doing that, what the law does point to is our need for a savior. It points to Jesus. I've grown up in church my whole life, and when I look at the Bible and when I look at God's perfect righteousness and God's holiness and God's standards and then I think about my own sinfulness and my own struggles and my own problems, what it does is it shows me how much I need Jesus. God demands perfect righteousness because He is perfect. And since you and me, we cannot be perfect, God gave us Jesus. What God demanded, God also gave What God demanded, perfection, he also gave in Jesus. Now, Jesus says at the beginning of this passage that what he came to do is to fulfill the law, to accomplish this purpose, but how did he do that? Well, the short answer is to say he did it by his death on the cross. He did it by his death on the cross. But I want to look more specifically for just a moment at how he accomplished this in each of those individual categories. Do you remember the three categories of the law that we talked about in the beginning? Judicial, ceremonial, and moral? Well, after his death on the cross, the church became his body of people on earth, which meant that the judicial laws, the laws concerning how Israel should live as a unique nation, they ended because the church is now God's people. Jesus' death on the cross, his, his perfect sacrifice once for all brought an end to the ceremonial laws. We can simply think of it like this, you know, there's no more sacrifices, not after Jesus. And finally, Jesus fulfilled the moral law by his own perfect righteousness. He obeyed every commandment. He met every requirement. He lived up to every standard. He did what you and I and everyone else that ever lived could not do. Could not do. So in light of all this, what is our relationship to the law, to God's word today? If Jesus fulfilled it, then how does it affect me and you? And I'll be honest with you this morning, I spent a long time trying to come up with something insightful to say, something uh, uh, really valuable and meaningful to address this point. And at the end of the day, what I realized I needed to do was just read to you what Paul wrote from the book of Romans, because this is a question that Christians have been asking for a long, long time. If Jesus came and died in my place on the cross and fulfilled these laws, then what do they mean to me? And this is one of the ways that we see this question addressed in Scripture. Paul says this to the church in Rome. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. By no means. Brian, you can come and get ready to play. What Jesus is or excuse me, what Paul is saying here, specifically in verse 15, is, is the reality that even though we are saved from the consequences of the law because of Jesus' sacrifice, we still use the law. It still has value. We still use God's word as, as a measuring stick for what a righteous life looks like. The moral law of God still has so much value because sin is still sin and God is still holy and God still opposes sin and God still punishes sin. And because of this, when we read through the Word of God and when we see things, we are convicted of our own sin and we are convicted of our own need to change who we are. And here's the truth. We have been talking about this reality for for the past several weeks now. And I say that because of this, when we look at God's Word, when we look at God's perfect standard and we know that we can never keep it but we want to have a relationship with god what happens we become poor in spirit and then we mourn our sin and then we become meek and we hunger and thirst for righteousness and we recognize our need for a savior and that leads us to a relationship with jesus